0: There is refinement in confinement, and it's good.
1: In our confinement, in our difficult seasons, in our circumstances, God is using all of that to produce something that is so deep, there is no other way for us to get it. And we cannot waste any of our circumstances or moments, no matter how hard they are, confusing they are, no matter how much we may not wanna be in them, We've got to make sure that we are on God's side of what He is doing and what He wants to do.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this edition of Ignite. Ignite features the Bible teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon, lead pastor of Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. We don't want to waste anything. Isn't that an interesting way to look at life, especially when life isn't going as we expected? In today's fourth message from his Jonah series, Pastor Ben looks at how God uses difficult situations in our lives to make us more like Jesus. He calls it refinement in confinement. If you're feeling a bit confined these days, this is a great word for you. For more information about Pastor Ben Dixon and Ignite Global Radio, just go to our website, igniteglobalradio.org. And while you're there, subscribe to our podcast and check out the books Pastor Ben has written prophesy releasing God's voice and hearing God. Now, here he is with his message, Refinement in Confinement.
1: Just by way of review, we've been looking at Jonah chapter 1, and we conclude that actually today, but we've seen several things. As we open up chapter 1, we see that God called Jonah to Nineveh to preach against the great city, repentance, He's in a boat, God sends a great storm, and there are many sailors on this boat, and all of their lives now are at stake. Jonah has an indifference to what is happening around him, and the sailors discover that the reason this great storm, a storm like they've never seen before, is happening is because of Jonah, and they call him to account. And Jonah actually responds to them, and he tells them, throw me into the sea. And they end up doing it because they all are about to lose their lives. They throw the prophet into the sea, and it says that the storm subsides. And you might remember my last sermon right out of Jonah chapter 1, and I called It's Not Too Late, because we see something happen where Jonah takes a step towards repentance, which I think is very important. Now, the Lord provided, the New American Standard says appointed, a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me, and all your waves and your breakers, they swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit when my life was ebbing away I remembered you Lord and my prayer rose to you into your holy temple Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good and I will say salvation comes from the Lord and here's the final verse in chapter 2 and the Lord commanded the fish and it spit Jonah onto dry land. Or the New American Standard says it vomited Jonah on dry land. Who knows what this man looked like when he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, vomited out onto dry land. But we're going to jump into this here today. My message is called Refinement Through Confinement. And something interesting that we see as Jonah is confined to this space for three days and for three nights, as he's in this specific time and he's in this specific place, something transformative actually takes place for this runaway prophet. And I believe that the primary lesson that we'll learn in this chapter, among other things, is that when God is involved, our confinement in one season can lead to our refinement for another. And I want to say that again. When God is involved, our confinement in one season... The difficulties and the circumstances that we're facing can actually be refinement for the season that is to come. And we don't want to waste anything. Just because that is true, it does not make it true for every circumstance. And I think that Jonah becomes a potential picture for for how things can turn around in our own confinement And I believe there's a few things that we want to look at. And I just want to walk through the text as plainly as I can. I want to look at three things. And the first is Jonah's confinement. The second is I want to look at Jonah's communion with God. And the third is Jonah's confession. The first is Jonah's confinement. Look again at chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, Now the Lord appointed a huge fish. Now, this Hebrew word for fish is not whale. I know some of you have heard whale forever. But it is not a whale, it is actually some kind of fish. The Lord appointed a fish, a great fish, to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. First of all, this is so important for us to grasp this, because there are many theologians, and maybe you think this right now, that this is a fictitious story, because scientifically speaking, no person can actually be swallowed by a fish. There is no fish great enough to do this. This is scientifically not possible. So we have to actually acknowledge right here and right now that what is happening in this story is supernatural. I think it's amazing how so often we write off stories because we think there is no way that that can happen. Well, friends, listen to me. There is no way that someone can speak and the heavens and the earth are created. There is no way that someone can rise from the dead. There is no way to scientifically have happen or prove that somebody's body can get healed. There's no way for a tumor to get removed. There's no way for somebody's soul to in a moment or overnight, all of a sudden be completely delivered. So listen, God is a supernatural God. And if he decides to make a fish, bigger than it was, or he wants to design a fish on the spot that can actually house a man for 72 hours and somehow sustain that man for 72 hours in a fish in the middle of the sea with all of the pressure, God can do it. And you go ahead and say amen because it's true. And I'm tired of hearing people say that all of these stories in the Bible are fictitious. Yeah, they're fictitious if we're only looking at the natural, but you and I believe in the supernatural supernatural. We believe in a God that can do absolutely anything. And so if we're going to read a story like this and we're going to come to any conclusion, we've got to start with God is powerful and God is supernatural. And if that's not the case, then everything that our faith is found on and grounded on in Jesus rising from the dead is of no value whatsoever. You and I already are in this thing believing that God is a supernatural God. And so many people will try to talk us out of this reality. It's an illustration of some kind of truth, but it's not a description of a historical event. Well, I've got no evidence to say otherwise. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 affirms the story of Jonah. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, And for three nights, so the Son of Man will have this three days and three nights experience and rise on the third day. And so we're just entering into this text, believing that God can do it, God did do it, and we want to just park it right there. The second thing I want to bring up, looking at this being Jonah's confinement, we see that God appointed the fish This is his reality. He not only appointed the fish to swallow him, he actually appointed the three days for Jonah to be there. Why three days? I don't know. Why 40 years for Israel being in the wilderness? Why six days for God creating the heavens and the earth? We don't actually know why the time frame was necessary, but we know that this was the amount of time that God needed to produce something in Jonah's heart. Maybe it was 72 hours for this, and it might take a whole lot longer for something else. But when we're looking at Jonah being confined to this very strange space, we know that it was God's appointment, not only where, but also how long he was supposed to be there because God had something to do, and it was very specific. Now, God did not make Jonah have all of these things happen. Sometimes we look at this story and we think it shows the sovereignty of God entirely, and it does. It shows the sovereignty of God even in the middle of our choices. God did not choose for Jonah to go to Joppa. God did not choose for Jonah to go into into the boat. God did not choose for Jonah to be indifferent. God chose for Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah continued to choose otherwise. God did not tell the sailors to throw Jonah into the sea. All of those things happened as a consequence of Jonah running away from what God originally intended for Jonah. But look what, do, look what God does. God makes a choice in the middle of the freedom of choices that he's given to us God makes the choice to appoint a fish and to point a period of time that Jonah and God are going to have a meeting. And this is what the Lord does. In the middle of all that is going on, our sovereign and powerful God is setting up something for Jonah. And you know what? He does the same thing for us. There are times where God will orchestrate a, a kind of confinement because he has something that he wants to do. Now, maybe shelter in place will bring about the manifestation of God's grace. Come on, somebody, you know you like that. I don't know about you, but we're all feeling like this is a weird time. We've been shelter in place. Maybe there's this confinement that God didn't necessarily bring about, but it doesn't mean that God won't use it unless we waste it. See, God takes these confining times and these confining spaces, and if we choose not to waste them and we choose to turn to the Lord, God will use that time as a significant moment of of the history of our development if we will choose to follow him and listen to him. Don't you love how God is orchestrating things behind the scenes? Don't you love how God is pursuing us behind the scenes? And I believe we see that right here. You know, some commentators actually believe that the fish swallowing Jonah is punishment, that's what some people actually believe, but I don't see it that way at all. I see it maybe as a discipline of the Lord, but it, it works towards Jonah's benefit because God brings forth his grace in order to deliver his prophet, his disobedient, rebellious prophet. God is doing what it takes to get him back in alignment with his will, and that's exactly what we see happen. See, we often forget things about ourselves, and we often forget things about the Lord. When we choose to go the other way, maybe in a small decision, or in this case, a big decision, and we walk away from what God tells us to do, what we know is clear in Scripture, we tend to get a little delusional. We tend to forget who we are. We tend to forget who God is. We tend to forget what God has said to us. We tend to forget all that the Lord wants to do in our lives. And here's what the Lord will do. God will use these times in our lives, these times that are uncomfortable, these times that are inconvenient, these times that make us squirm, these times that we long for yesteryear. He will use those confining moments, even orchestrate some of them, because what he wants to do is so profound and it's so deep that if we're not yielding to what the Lord is doing in our life, nothing will change. Let me ask you the question, do you want nothing to change? I know I want a lot of things to change. I want to grow, but I don't always like the confining space and the confining time where growth actually happens. But let me just encourage you that even when it's difficult and even when it's new territory, the Lord will use that just like we see him do in the book of Jonah. It maybe isn't what we planned But what has God planned? That's the real question. Maybe we look at our situation and we go, this is not what I planned. But that's not the good question. The good question is, what has God planned? planned. Now let's, get, let's bring it close to home. Maybe some of us have lost our job, and that brings about fear and insecurity. Maybe some of us have lost our connections, we've lost our normals, we've lost our routines, we've lost some things in this season, but the question is not what we have lost. The question is not, or the, the concern shouldn't just be, well, this is not what I planned. The question is, what has God planned? What does God want to do? What is the Lord doing inside of us? What is God trying to get at? See, we've got to shift our perspective and start looking at what the Lord is doing in the midst of it. God doesn't waste anything. He saw this coming. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what he is doing. I mean, I hear this verse quoted all the time in Jeremiah 29, 11. Where we talk about, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a hope and a future to prosper and so on. And Everybody loves that verse. But one thing I like about that verse, God says, I know the plans I have for you. You know what I've learned in my life? I don't know the plans that God has for me. I know that I make plans, and they're often not the plans that, that, I, that I make, the things that God has planned for me. And so God is constantly trying to shift me from what I've planned to do to what he has planned for my life, to bring glory to him. Go ahead and look at somebody around you and say, you know that's true. All right? You know that's true. Don't use it as a manipulation. Just go ahead and smile while you do it. You know, you need to be nice to your neighbor, okay? Especially if it's your spouse. The second thing I want to look at here, we look at Jonah's confinement. We also need to look at Jonah's communion. We see, I believe we see in chapter uh, 2 here that confinement brings about communion. Look at verse 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. See, it's clear to me from the previous chapter that Jonah's willingness to be thrown into the sea, it proves to me that Jonah was willing to die. Here's what I actually believe. I think Jonah wanted to die. I think Jonah got so far in his rebellion when he's in the, the bow of the boat that he's literally contemplating death. Now maybe he had some, some prayers go up to God during that time. It seems like chapter 2 gives us a little bit of a reflection during that time where he may have done just that. But I, I actually believe that Jonah wanted to die or at least he was preparing himself to die. I think when the sailors threw him overboard, that it was going to satisfy this wrath or this storm that God had whipped up, and many were going to lose their lives. When Jonah's body touched the water, it says that the sea subsided. I think Jonah thought he was going to die. And I think this is important because it brings up this statement that we often talk about. We say, you know, somebody's not going to change until they hit rock bottom. You've probably said that. Maybe you've heard it. I know I've said it. His life was going down. Jonah's life right here is going down, down, down. He's going down to Joppa. He's going down into the boat. He's going down into the sea. He's doing nothing but going down. And it seems to me like Jonah hits rock bottom. Sometimes we say that when people hit rock bottom, that's when change can come. That's actually not true. What's true is sometimes rock bottom needs to happen in order for us to get woken up. Like we've got to wake up, and when we wake up, the prayers at rock bottom, the commitments at rock bottom are what bring about change. Not just being at rock bottom. Some people hit that place of the absolute bottom. They come to the end of their self, and nothing changes. Just getting there is not what makes us change. What makes us change is looking up when we're at the bottom. Him. finally sometimes for a, it's been a very long time and we make the decision i'm going to look up because i'm all the way down and that's what we see jonah do and that's what i believe is important for all of us the prayers that we pray the commitments that we make the humbling of ourselves this brings about change and it comes through communion with god jonah here opens up his heart to the lord and his internal world begins to shift dramatically And isn't that what God's after? If God can shift what's on the inside, he can do anything on the outside. And we often want all of our externals to change. You can have everything. You can have absolutely everything and be completely bankrupt on the inside. So what's God doing? God is always going after the heart. What's God doing in the middle of this 72-hour fast in the belly of a fish? He's going after Jonah's heart. Jonah, will you give me your heart? Jonah, will you look up now that you're at rock bottom? And you know what? He actually does. The environment that Jonah was in gave him the time to reflect on his sin. Come on now, smile. You know you like that. That was just for you. That was. Go ahead and take that note. Write that down. Communion brings about repentance, which we read here. And Jonah says, I cried out to you. I called for your help. You listened to my cry. Communion brings repentance And it also brings reflection. Now, there are a lot of verses here that I want to just kind of nail down. And I want to show you that as Jonah prays these prayers and he makes these statements, there's many, many psalms that correlate with all of these things that are said. Maybe you didn't ever think about that. But when you read the psalms, you see the psalmist lament. You see the psalmist complain. You see the psalmist cry out. You see the psalmists say things they shouldn't say. <laughs> you see that the psalms are raw and real. They're songs and psalms and comments and complaints and laments, and it's full of the human experience. But ultimately, the point of the psalms, in my opinion, is about looking up and worshiping God. It's about laying hold of the beauty of God again. Yeah, we wrestle through everything, Yeah, we go through difficulty. Yeah, we go through pain. Yeah, we have people wrong us. Yeah, we have injustice. All of that is true, both from us and to us. But what is more true is that God reigns above it all. That's what's true. And we read about this tension in the Psalms, and we see actually that same tension in the soul of Jonah here in chapter 2. Look with me. Here's verse 3. Jonah says, you cast me into the deep. Your breakers and your billows, they passed over me. You know, that's actually said in Psalm 42, 7. Similarly, it says this very thing. Jonah, right here, he's reflecting on where he is and why he's there. And he's thinking about how God's pursued him. He's thinking about how God is disciplining him. But he's not suggesting that he doesn't deserve it. He's actually finally, almost for the first time, realizing I deserve that. He wanted to die. He just wanted to avoid it to the point of even just let me die. But now he's shifting his heart. He's looking up and he's speaking to God and he's saying, you did this. But he's not saying it in a negative way. He's not suggesting that discipline is bad. He's simply saying that God has appointed something for him, even in the middle of all this running and resisting and rebelling. In verse 4, we see Jonah say, I have said, I have been expelled from your sight, nevertheless, I will look again to your holy temple. We see this or read it in Psalm thirty-one, twenty-two. Jonah is saying that even though my sin removed me from your sight and cost me your blessing, I will turn to you now in the midst of rock bottom. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, my life was going down, but here I am and I'm looking back up to you. And he says, I will turn my face towards your holy temple. Now, I want you to think back to chapter 1 in chapter one here 's what Jonah It says about Jonah that he flees the presence of the Lord. You remember that? Jonah flees the presence of the lord well here 's the deal Jonah 's not far from jerusalem that 's where the temple is. Jewish people when they prayed, they prayed towards the temple they would look towards the temple it signified god 's holy presence. Think about this when Jonah got on a boat and in Joppa, going to Tarshish, it's 2,500 miles away from Jerusalem. When it says he fleed from the presence of the Lord, Jonah wanted to get away from the temple as he wanted to go as far as he possibly could. It's, he knows God's omnipresent, but he's, he's lost his mind. You lose your theology in your rebellion. You know that? You will lose your theology. You will lose truth in the midst of rebellion. We become theologically dumb. We forget God is God. We forget that God is loving. We forget that God is mer- We forget all of this stuff about God until we hit rock bottom and finally look up and all of a sudden it comes back to us. When Jonah says, "I will look at your holy temple." You know what he was he was saying? I will not seek to flee from your presence. I am turning from fleeing from your presence. I am turning towards your presence, and I will pray to you as I turn my face towards Jerusalem, as I turn my face towards your holy temple. I'm inviting your presence back into my life, and I recognize that you are with me right here in the belly of the whale at the bottom of the sea. And what that means is there is no place that we can go where God will not be. God is in the midst of it all. God will pursue you. He will chase you down. You think you can get away away from him, and it is not possible. Stop running. Jonah, stop running. And Jonah realizes this very truth. I tried to run. I regarded my life as worthless. I thought I might just die. And here you are, appointing a fish, appointing a time frame, and showing me that you are are merciful, and my heart, my mind will shift towards you. And this is what he's talking about. Verse 5 and 6, he says, Water encompassed me to the point of death. We read about this in Psalm 69.1. Jonah recognizes that he should have died. He owns the fact that he should have died because of what he had done. He recognizes this. Verse 7, he says, While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord when I was fainting and when I was withering, when I was struggling and suffering at my own hands because of my own choice. When that was happening to me, I remembered the Lord. See, sometimes a space, a confining space, a confining season will help us to remember the Lord and not just take up our opinions and make our comments and act like we know everything. It will help us to remove the pride out of our lives and get back to what matters the most. And he says, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple, talking about his presence. We read this similarly in Psalm 18.6. Jonah was at his worst. He remembered who the Lord was. The very thing that he was running from in the Lord was the mercy of God. Remember back to chapter one. God says, go preach against that great city of Nineveh. Now he knew that that was the the seedbed of the Assyrian empire. He wanted nothing to do. In fact, he had a prophecy that was against the Syrian empire. He wanted nothing to do with them being able to turn around. He wanted nothing to do with them receiving mercy. He did not want to go there. And so he runs. And here look what it look what this shows us. That God through the prophet Jonah wanted to show mercy to people that didn't deserve it and didn't earn it. And now Jonah is a recipient of the very mercy of God. The very thing that he was running from in being a distributor, now he's receiving, realizing that he himself needed in a moment like this. I need the thing that I was running from about you and now I recognize it. But we know God's not done. We know God wants to go deeper and deeper and deeper. He wants us to understand how merciful he really is. And you know what? Moments like this wake us up to show us that that's exactly who God is. See, before Jonah wouldn't pray. You remember that? Jonah wouldn't pray. He fell asleep. He was indifferent to everything that was happening. And now Jonah turns his heart to prayer. See, that's what happens when we wake up. When we wake up spiritually, we once were not able to pray, but now. We can't do anything but pray. We must pray. We have to pray. We've got nothing left, but we've got to come to God. And finally, in verse 8, he says, Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Think about that. Those that worship other gods, it causes everything that they've done that was righteous to be almost nullified. Now, we know that that's not entirely the case, but what he means by this and just his expression is he's saying that, listen, when you worship something other than God, when you worship yourself or any of your other idols, what you do is you forfeit and you forsake the faithfulness of the prior season. See, because all you have is right here and right now. And maybe he was living through that and he couldn't recognize that, yeah, once upon a time I was the prophet that God wanted me to be, but right here and right now he's reduced down to his rebellion. And he's recognizing it didn't matter what I once did. It didn't matter if I was once obedient. I haven't been that now. I haven't been that now. And can we grab a hold of this? That if we're allowing anything in our past, maybe our victories and our triumphs, the things that God's used us to do, to somehow be the mirror of where we are today, we need to ask God if that's true of our lives. Lord, are we in the right place right now? Are we doing what we once did? Are we the people that are rightly aligned with you? We want God's perspective and not our own. Sometimes people think that verse 8 is Jonah talking about the pagans. He's talking about those that were worshiping idols. But I think actually he's owning his own personal idols such as pride and anger. He felt that he was better than the Ninevites. He knew better than God. But in his rebellion, he came face-to-face with his own lack of love, empathy, and obedience, which almost cost others their lives and forfeited his call as a prophet. See, in this moment, he's not a prophet. He's just a guy that's disobedient. He's a guy that's running. He's a guy that wanted his life to end. See, this communion revealed in repentance and reflection eventually brought about change that was priceless. You can't purchase this kind of change. You cannot purchase this kind of transformation. What am I saying? I'm saying, listen, in our confinement, in our difficult seasons, in our circumstances, God is using all of that to produce something that is so deep, there is no other way for us to get it. And we cannot waste Any of our circumstances or moments, no matter how hard they are, confusing they are, no matter how much we may not want to be in them, we've got to make sure that we are on God's side of what He is doing and what He wants to do. Confinement or discipline or difficult circumstances is useful as long as we yield to the Lord. It will transform us. It will prepare us. It will launch us into a new season of fruitfulness unless we waste it. And we cannot waste these moments. The final point that uh, I want to make about this passage, we look at Jonah's confinement, we look at Jonah's communion with God in the belly of the fish, but we also look at Jonah's confession. Out of this time of confinement and communion, we read of some profound confessions that Jonah made. His heart had to be fixed on what God had done and what God was doing if he was going to rise up again and be a man of God. If Jonah was going to go back to being who God originally had called him to be, he was going to have to be reminded and he was going to have to be restored to what mattered, which we see happen here in chapter 2. But look at some of the things that he says. And can I just remind you that in these seasons of our own lives, maybe we're never going to get swallowed by a fish, you know, God forbid, but we certainly have a 72-hour period of confinement ourselves. There are times where we didn't plan to be where we are and to go through what we're going through. But there are moments where God will bring about communion and that communion will bring about confessions, confessions that we can stand on, statements that we make that are not just words, but they're they're a disposition of our life and heart where we press into the Lord. And it is those confessions that we make in those seasons that become confessions of faith that carry us right to where God wants us to be. One of those is this. I believe these are the way that I would say them. One would be you pursue me. I think that was something that would come out of this season of Jonah's life. I believe in verse 3 and 4, Jonah acknowledges God as he reflects on his own ways. And we see clearly that God pursued him in his sin and rebellion. Look at all that God did to get Jonah to get his heart, to get him back on track. We're gonna read about how the word of the Lord came to Jonah again a second time. How powerful is that? He's not merely the God of second chances. Jonah went down, 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 all the way to rock bottom. And it was in that point, God was pursuing him at each and every step, trying to get his attention, pursuing him, showing him who he was, that he was still there, Jonah could rise up and say, God, you pursue me. See, it's not just about my obedience to you. It's that even in my disobedience, you keep pursuing me. Don't you want to know that that's true about the God that you follow? Nobody watching this right now is a perfect person. Nobody is as holy as Jesus Christ. Yes, salvationally, our identity is in him. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's been imputed to us. His righteousness has been put on our account because of what he did, not what you did, not what I did. I didn't do anything to become the righteousness of Christ except believe on the one that did everything. But what we can know is that God pursues us. That's right. He's going to chase you down. He might even be doing it right now. And you got secrets. You got things nobody, you don't want nobody to know. You got things going on that you haven't told anybody. That's right. Yeah, you. You got things that are happening right now. The shh kind of stuff, I don't, you know, you think God doesn't know that stuff? God knows all of that. He's pursuing you in the middle of that, right here and right now. God's hand is on your life. He's touching you right now. He knows your sin. He knows the lies. He knows the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the avoidance. He knows all of that. He knows if you haven't read your Bible for a long time, haven't prayed a prayer for a long time haven't done what you've known to do for a long time. He knows absolutely all of that. And you know what? He pursues you. Jonah found that out. You and I need to find that out too. The second confession that Jonah makes, I believe, is you saved me. He makes this confession all the way at the end. I think it's verse 9. He says, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. This was his physical deliverance. You saved me. His repentance was based on God's pursuit. His reflection was, this is who you are. You can't help yourself. You're a savior, and you saved the people that don't deserve it. You saved the people that couldn't have earned it. Certainly, that's where Jonah was. The third confession he makes is, you heard me. Jonah says two times that God heard him at his lowest point. I cried out to you in my distress, and you heard me. Whenever I talk about prayer, you might hear this come out of my mouth. I say that God loves us, God hears us, and God responds to us. Pastor Ben, why do you say that? Not just because it rhymes or it sounds good. I say it because it is a stake in the ground for me to remind myself that when I pray, it's not bouncing off the ceiling or off the wall. I am praying to a God that loves me. I'm praying to a God that hears me, and I'm praying to a God that responds to me. There is no other God that does any of those three things. That is why I say it. That's why I'll continue to say it. It's a confession of my heart. It's a confession of Jonah. He went through all this and he learned, you heard me, you hear me. Number four, you're a merciful God. Jonah ran from the very thing that he needed in God. We're gonna continue to find out just how far God is willing to go to help his prophet understand this about him, that Yahweh is merciful. Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, the anointed one is merciful. God is merciful, full of compassion, full of compassion. He wants us to be like him. This is what he's pursuing in Jonah's heart while he's sending him to Nineveh. God knows he's compassionate, but he wants his prophet, the messenger of the Lord, to be compassionate and merciful as well. Jonah needed this confinement. Jonah Jonah needed this communion in order to get to this confession. You're merciful. Number five is I will trust in you. Several times Jonah's prayers reflect this very confession. I will trust in you. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know why I'm here. I don't even know why I rebelled, but I'll do this. I'll trust in you. I'll trust in you because you're trustworthy. I'll trust in you because of everything that you have shown yourself to be. And I have shown the exact opposite. I can trust you. I can't trust myself. I've shown that. I've proved that. I can't put my trust in anyone else. But I can trust you. Jonah learned this as he went through 72-hour confinement. And number six, and finally, I will turn from idolatry. Jonah recognizes idolatry and he names it. He turns toward the Lord. I wonder if sometimes we can't name our idolatry. I will turn from my idolatry. You notice four of these confessions are about the Lord and two of them are about Jonah. And that's what I'm trying to say is that we need to see God more than we see ourselves. But our confessions are responses to the Lord I will turn from my idolatry. That's our repentance. I will turn from worshiping, serving, or having more affection for lesser things. This is something that should never leave us as Christians, that we follow God. And as we follow God, he will lead us to places where we must deny and denounce and renounce and turn from the lesser things in our life or we're not going through that door. We're not going to go where he's going. We're not going to do what he's doing unless we can renounce our idols. See, I don't know what your idols are. I don't, I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what maybe you're giving a lot of yourself to. But I can tell you, if you want to know what God wants to do in your life and in my life, it's that he's going after our heart in such a way where we would choose to renounce the idols in our life. That we would let go of sins or lesser things or anything that gets in the way of God being close to us and God using us. That's what life is about. It's about knowing God and making him known. And along the way, we get to enjoy all kinds of beautiful things. We also have a lot of pain in this life. And it's our purpose in him that rises to the top. And it makes sense of all that we go through. I don't know how people get through pain, unless they have purpose. How do we get through great pain and difficulty, trauma and trial, unless we have a greater purpose than how we feel and what pain we've walked through? Our purpose in God must be greater than our pain in this life. And that's what helps us to renounce lesser things that we cope with to make our pain feel better. We try to make ourselves feel better, medicate the pain, This thing's horrible. This happened to me in my life. And then we medicate that. We want everybody to not see the very thing that's happening in us. All the while, God sees it. And he wants us to turn from worshiping anything else and worship him. And in that process, we get healed. God knows how to heal us. He knows how to get right to us. In this season of life, what is God teaching you? What is he showing you? What promises have been true for you? What good news does God want to share through you? Here's my heart in all this. I, did, I, did, I can't make this stuff up. I mean, we're just going through the book of Jonah, and I'm realizing prophetically that God has a message for us every week in his word as he's dealt with his servants, his sons, and his daughters, and that message is a prophetic echo into our generation and into our heart if we'll hear it. See, if we don't want to grow and we don't want to go anywhere beyond where we are, we just, we know it all, we have it all, our, our, we're worshiping pride. We, if, th- if that's where we are, let, let, me just, let me just tell you, frustration is going to be normal for our life. Frustration is going to be normal for our life. We've got to learn how to embrace what God wants to do, the pruning that God wants to do, the development that God wants to bring. The learning that each one of us must have in our hearts. We have got to become humble people. You say, Pastor Ben, what are you learning in this season? Thank you for asking that question. So many of you are praying for me. I'll tell you what I'm learning. I'm learning a new way of humility. I'm stopping from being a know-it-all and just being like, this is what needs to happen. I'm praying a lot more than I've ever prayed. I'm asking God more questions than I've ever asked I stop the conclusion and I start with questions. See, if we just want to always have the answer, we know that the Word of God, we know that the Word of God has the answers. But why do we think we already know everything that's in here? I read this book every year, all the way through from cover to cover, and I can tell you something. I learn so much more about God every time I go through this Word something that I've never known before, something that I've never seen before. The reason that I'm convinced that every Christian needs to read the Bible every day is because of what it does in my life. This is not some legalism that I would sell you. This is not something I'm trying some program I'm trying to sign you up for. I don't want your money. I don't want to feel good about trying to get people to do what I do. I just want people to know that there are answers. I want people to know that that we can grow. I want people to know that we're supposed to learn. I want people to know that we, God didn't leave us with nothing, that He gave us something, and He doesn't want it to have dust on it. He wants to know that what I gave to you, you were responsible with, how much went in for us to have this right here and right now, but we cannot conclude before we seek. We cannot be know-it-alls. We've got to be servants. Humble servants that that are seekers of God, seeking to understand His word, seeking to know His ways. That's what I'm learning again and again and again that humility is something that attracts the presence and the power of God like nothing else. The Bible says in two different places that He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace, He gives empowerment, He gives revelation, He gives wisdom. He gives knowledge, he gives understanding to the humble, not to the smart, not to the prideful, not to the arrogant, not to the people that want to be the smartest person and the most knowledgeable person in the room. I want to know things, but I want to know God and his word because I want to live like him, not because I want to impress anybody else. That's what I'm learning. I'm learning that this is a season of life that I've never been to before. I've never been in this experience, I've never been in this environment, I've never had this confining space and time, and it certainly wasn't what any of us planned. But I'm concerned that if we're not careful, we'll miss a moment. We'll miss a moment of what God wants to do inside here. Don't do it. Not for us, not for you, not for me. He's going deep, and He's going to keep going deeper Amen and amen. Verse 10 says this as we conclude. The Lord commanded the fish and it spit Jonah out onto dry land. The Lord commanded the fish. It starts with the Lord appointed the fish to swallow Jonah. 72 hours he was there. God does a mighty work inside of him. And then the Lord commanded that that time was over and he spit him back out on dry land. And he's gonna start all over with Jonah. Don't you love the God of second chances. He's taken him into the depths with a great fish, and the very thing that God used in his life to confine him was the very thing that God used to deliver him. What if that's what seasons of life are like for us? I have found that some of the greatest breakthrough I have ever experienced in my life has come on the tail end, no pun intended, the tail end. (laughs) of the hardest seasons of my life. Haven't you found that to be the truth? It's not that that's what we want, but that's usually the way that it is. God brings about refinement through confinement, and I believe he's doing a mighty thing in many of us, if not all of us. Now listen, I have some words that I've written down as I prayed earlier, and I wanna share some with you. Prophetic words, this may be for you, And it may be for somebody you know. We've had a lot of people send words that are on this broadcast. They send them all over, and we've had a lot of fruit where people receive the word because a person heard it, and they knew who it was for. And so let's ready our hearts for maybe how the Holy Spirit will work. I first saw a picture of someone that was in the military. I saw them with their military garb on. And um, I want to say to you, whoever this is, that God is touching your heart right now and he's going to use you mightily. I saw great, maybe it was discouragement or tension that was in your heart, and that may be the case for many of our military men and women, but I saw someone specifically that was going to watch this, and you were dressed up in your military garb, and you were discouraged, and you were living in a place of tension, and the Lord touched you, just like I believe he's going to touch you as you watch this. He touched you And when he touched you, you realized in that moment that God was going to use you mightily in the circumstances that you're in. And so I prophesy over you that God is going to use you mightily. Watch how the hand of the Lord comes upon your life. Occupy your mind on what God is doing and not just what's happening around you. And watch how the Lord will use you I have a general word where I I know this probably is for more than one person, but here's the word God is bringing deliverance. God is bringing deliverance. If you need the Lord to sever something in your life, I saw a picture of a tree, and it was just like when a tree comes down. You know, they cut the tree off, and there's a stump that's there. And sometimes we try to grind the stump, but guess what? The roots are still in the ground. And it can take a year for those roots to actually die. Maybe it can take longer. We can get them dead for, uh, through some kind of means that we use a, a product of sorts, but it still takes a long period of time. And when I saw the picture of this tree and the tree got cut down, it was this big thing. It represented something that was lodged like a stronghold in your life, and the tree came down. And you had that deliverance, like that big thing was gone, but you still were carrying the residual of some of that, those issues that you were delivered from, and it made you feel like you weren't delivered. It made you feel like you still have all this stuff in your life, and and you were quite discouraged about it. And here's the word, God is delivering you. Freedom is yours in Christ. But just because you haven't fully experienced it, just because you're not fully living in it does not mean that Jesus didn't pay for it, does not mean that Jesus isn't at work in it. It means that he is at work in it still. It means that he is working on it even now. Yield to him, surrender to him, keep coming to him. Do not allow disappointment and discouragement to tell you that you are not free. You are free because of what Jesus Christ has done. He is right now killing the roots of the stronghold that he's already delivered you from. I saw a picture of a woman, and you were reaching out towards your son, and there was fear in your heart of what was happening with your son specifically. It was a young man, not an adult, and I just hear the Lord saying, I'm giving you peace. Not only that, but I'm giving you faith to believe that God's going to use your son in a mighty way. You don't see it right now. You're fearful over him. So Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that the fear would be broken and that you would bring about faith right now to believe what we cannot see. Thank you, Lord. Uh, My wife had a word that somebody's right foot, it was crushed or had something really wrong with it, and it needs healing. So right now, if that's you and your right foot crushed, something happened to it, maybe it was an accident of some kind... We just pray over you that the healing of the Lord would manifest in your right foot in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you for your healing power. Release the gift of healing that would just completely and totally heal that foot, and we thank you for your testimony coming forward. And the last thing that I saw, and this was sort of strange, but I saw a picture of two houses, and there was a fence in between them, and it was a picture of of neighbors, and uh, Whoever's watching this, you're a Christian and you're having a dispute with your neighbor. That was the word that I had. This, I saw that there was a tension between you and somebody that you live either behind or, you, or they live parallel to you, but you have a fence that either backs up or is right next to your house. You share a fence and you're having a dispute with that neighbor. And I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share this with you, is that He wants you to realize that He's going to use you even in that dispute, and as you humble yourself And as you not think about the dispute that's going on, but you think about what God wants to do in the middle of it, and and you might need to humble yourself, God is going to use that really powerful to touch your neighbor's heart. And here's the thing we got to remember. It's not about winning arguments. It's about winning hearts. Think about that. How do I win the heart of my neighbor in the middle of this dispute? It might cost you, but it's always worth it. That's what I believe the Lord has for you. Let's pray as we close today. Father, we thank you for every word that was given. I pray that your word would go out, both your written word and your prophetic word. And I pray, God, that it would be planted into the hearts of Northwest Church in our hearts. We ask that it would bear fruit, fruit that would remain, that you would do a mighty work in us. And right now, no matter how we feel as we're going through difficulty, or maybe orchestrated circumstances at your hand. We welcome and embrace what you wanna do in our hearts and in our homes and in our lives because, Lord, we are followers of Jesus and it is all about your purpose and not our feelings. And so we just choose to align our hearts to you and we ask that you would move in us. We ask that you would move through us. We ask that you would teach us. We ask, ask that you would prune us and that you would use this time For your glory, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.
0: God has a message for us in His Word if we're really ready to receive and embrace it. Today we learned the importance of humbly hearing what God has to say, especially facing confusing, difficult, scary times. It's time to dust off our Bibles and become humble seekers of God. It's time to know God, hear His voice, and begin to live as He calls us. As Pastor Ben says, refinement comes in confinement. Let's not waste the opportunity. I encourage you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for the radio ministry of Ignite Global Radio as Pastor Ben continues to bring truth, encouragement, and strength in these interesting times. It's noisy out there. It's crucial that we seek first the kingdom of God and hear straight from Him for His clarity and wisdom for our lives. Now one more time, here's Pastor Ben with a timely word on how God refines us during times such as these.
1: We're talking today about how Jonah is in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. We're talking about the refinement that God does in places of confinement. I'm sure you've experienced quite a confinement in the midst of COVID-19 and the shutdowns and the requirements and all that we're facing. Nobody could have planned this. Nobody could have foreseen this. In fact, we've never been in this place before. And for some of us, we've never seen anything like it. In a sense, it's a confinement. It's a place and space that we cannot control. We all like to control our environment. We like to control our reality. That's what we do when we go home. We turn the temperature up. We turn the temperature down. We like to control our environment. But there are times in life where we cannot control our surroundings. We cannot control what people say to us what people ask of us, what people do to us. We cannot control what the government is asking of us. We cannot control whether we can open our business, shut our business, or how we can even participate in church. But be sure of this. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that all things work together for good, for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. And verse 29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's calling on our life first and foremost is that we would be more like Jesus. And so no matter what our confinement looks like, we always know what the refinement is that God is doing in our life. He's bringing us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Right now, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, as you submit to the Lord, just like I do, we are going to find that the refining work of the Holy Spirit is going to make us look more and more like the one that we are following.
0: You've been listening to Ignite Global Radio, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon, the lead pastor of Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way. And, as you can tell, he has a passion for biblical truth, real discipleship, and empowered living. If you'd like more information, go to our website, IgniteGlobalRadio.org. That's IgniteGlobalRadio.org. On behalf of Pastor Ben and the entire staff here at Ignite, thanks for listening. And be sure to join us next week for the next message in a series, Jonah, Running from the Heart of God, A Message and a Messenger. Ignite is a ministry of Northwest Foursquare Church.